So God, we thank you that the end is written. And that's our confidence. Our confidence is in a living hope that doesn't perish or spoil or fade. So now as we anchor our hearts to the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, what he has done to break down dividing walls of hostility, would you, in our own hearts right now, humble us. Soften us that we might hear from you, from your spirit, that you would encourage us and challenge us and and open our eyes to blind spots. Bring us close to you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 in your pew Bible if you are reaching for one. Um, I think it's page 976. So last week, we looked at this idea of death to life. You know, it starts, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following uh, the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air. And we learned about spiritual warfare as it relates to our personal death. So what last week looked at primarily was this idea of this um, vertical dimension. How am I doing between uh, my Savior and I? How are things going? Uh, Not good. (laughs) You were dead in your trespasses. You need to be woken up. Dead people don't make good choices. Dead people make no choices. And so you needed to be acted upon. So that's what we found out last week, that we were acted upon by the Savior. We were gifted faith. We were, in a lot of ways, woken up from our death. And this week, uh, Paul kind of turns the corner a little bit in 11 through 22, and he actually starts looking at the horizontal dimension. Okay, well, if you've been woken up from the slumber of your sin, from the death of your sin, to new life, to walk in new ways, what does that mean for how you live it out in the horizontal dimension? How does that really impact things? And so Paul kind of turns the corner there. And that's where we're going to be headed, looking at alienation and peace, and then eventually a dwelling. But we want to take home one thing more than anything this morning. It's that Jesus kills hostility with his peace. We're going to learn that uh, through the text this morning. And we're just, instead of reading it all at once today, I'm just going to kind of go in smaller chunks. So we're going to go through verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. It says, Therefore, remember... That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul does a quick review and says, hey, look, what was your state before Jesus? You were kind of up a creek without a paddle. (laughs) You didn't have a whole lot of hope. You see, alienation, in this case, works two ways. We're alienated from God, and we're alienated from others. And we want to remember first, before we start diving into a text and then just making our conclusions, we want to remember what it would have meant for the first people to hear this. What did it mean for the, for the Gentiles in Ephesus to hear this? What did it mean for the people who originally read this letter? What did it mean to them? How did it strike them? 
the Gentiles would have felt this very keenly. They would have felt the distance and the wall of hostility. They would have felt the separation and the alienation. You see, the whole idea of, of alienation or aliens, as it were, is kind of a hot topic right now. I'm not sure if you've heard about anything regarding how we handle immigration, right? And whether immigrants are people or not, or illegal immigrants, what does that look like? So just start to think, these are some of the, the thoughts that are kind of swirling. The idea of what it looks like to be alienated from a much better life. And so verse uh, 11 and 12 both start off with this statement, remember. Remember. At first he says, at one time, and then he goes into this whole idea of saying, the, you, you, you Gentiles were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. So what he's saying there is there's a little bit of infighting here where, where the Gentiles and the Jews refer to each other with derogatory terms. You're like, I could never imagine referring to another people group or person of a skin color within a derogatory term. Yeah, right. <laughs> you absolutely can. You've seen it play out a thousand times. Paul is just pointing this out. He's saying, Jews and Gentiles have derogatory ways of referring to one another. And so he's saying, hey, look, this is what you were called at one time. And then he turns in verse 12 to say, you were alienated. To be alienated or separated literally just has this idea of being estranged or excluded. So we could go with the larger picture of what it means, but just ask yourself this. Has there ever been a time in my growing up years, and if you're a young buck, say in the third row with the last name Stuber, has there ever been a time that you can recall like just feeling left out or pushed to the margins? Intentionally. Where someone just didn't want you. Where someone was just like, not only do I not want you, but like, you're a, you're a cancer. What you bring, how you act, the way you live, what you bring to the table, I don't want it. Alienated, excluded, estranged. That's the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, hey, look, because of the vertical work of Christ, we're going to start to do this with you Jews and Gentiles. We're going to start to make diversity not a curse, but the most beautiful blessing. How do we do that? So that's what he's after. And then he really gets to the point when he says, look, you had no hope and you were without God. Is there really a more dire description of humanity? Like we just got done walking through the visitation and funeral of a loved one who's passed away. Uh, and Don and Heidi, you guys are in our prayers, but just consider like, what it's like to look at the passing of someone who has no hope and is without God in the world. That there's nothing worse. But these Jews and these Gentiles were totally at odds with one another. In fact, one commentator says it this way. The Jew had immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. That's a little heavy-handed, by the way, <laughs> right? But listen to what else he says. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in giving birth, for that simply would be to bring another Gentile into the world. Seriously? 
Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. And listen to this. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or likewise a girl marrying a boy, the funeral of that Jewish person was carried out. Such contact with the Gentile was the equivalent of death. You're like, I can't imagine hating somebody that much. I'm pretty sure you could. And if you can't, just dream with me how quickly we can be alienated from one another. Because that's where Paul's headed. So Paul talks about this idea of saying, hey, look, this is right on the heels of saying, just last week we talked about this. You are God's workmanship. Remember that Greek word, poema. You are God's poem. And the author of this poem, this poet, is creating a beautiful new humanity. And, and therefore, you've got to remember how you were alienated from these guys. And how the, the, the work of Christ, you want the answer to racism, you want the, the answer to classism and, tribal, and tribalism and all these different things. It's this, it's Jesus right here. He begins to break into this reality and he says, if you are stuck, if you are someone who understands what it means to be alienated and separated and having no hope and without God in the world, it's Jesus who begins to unite. It's not some great government program, it's Jesus. It is Jesus, it's always him. And we don't ever want to miss that when we start going past that and blowing past the, the unity that Christ offers by his sacrifice. It's horrible. The Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews looking at the Gentiles, they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, godless. Paul talks about it in Romans. He also talks about it in Philippians. You can jot those verses down and take a look at them on your own time. But honestly, Jesus kills hostility with his peace. Verses 13 through 18 say this. He moves from therefore, like if, if you're God's workmanship, if you're his poem, and I'm creating a new humanity by, what a, by my work on the cross, then there's no longer alienation. You should be joined together. You should be united in Christ. And he says in verse 13, but now. I love that. And Paul just turns the corner. He's got a number of those statements where he just turns the corner with like a pump the brakes. Think about this. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that was a reference to the Gentiles, right? They were always talked about as far off, have been brought near. Being near is a reference to the Israelites, to the Jews. And so Paul is saying here, you are, you are brought together. How are you brought together? You're brought together by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. He's creating a whole new humanity in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See, the idea here, when Paul turns the corner and says, but now there's peace, 
no longer this alienation. The idea here is that Jesus, the slain, becomes the slayer. He's the one who kills hostility. He's the one who slays the hostility that exists between. You see, Jesus is our peace. And Jesus makes peace. And Jesus preaches peace. But Paul is talking about this in a day and an age, you can flip to the next slide, where there is a very real situation happening. Here's the temple, right? This is Herod's temple that was created. And you can see I've circled a couple of things, but um, you can see my laser pointer. Here is the, the temple itself and, and right here, the holy place and the holy of holies, like where worship and sacrifice were all happening. There is a, a larger courtyard right here, this whole thing. And that's where the priests are. That's where the Israelite men are. And that's where the Israelite women are. They are all, as it were, on one plane with the, with the holy place, with the altar. They're all on the same level. But look out here. When you start to see this, you see this right here. This is the Gentile courtyard. And you can see I've outlined in red, that's the dividing wall of hostility. When Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility, here's what he's referring to. These Israelites, these Jews are here. You have to go out this door, which is down five steps, down these 14 steps, and then cross over the barrier here. And so Paul is saying, hey, in Jesus Christ, I have gotten rid of the dividing wall of hostility. He had in mind a physical artifact. He had in mind something that's right there. It kept them out. The Gentiles, even coming to the temple, which was the, where, the very place of God's presence where it dwelt, he, he's reminding them, look, there's a wall there. And every Gentile would have been like, yeah, I know the wall. And you're like, well, okay, so it's like a little wall, like a little lattice. Actually, inscribed in two languages on that wall is you're responsible for your own death if you cross it. Uh, again, heavy-handed, right? <laughs> like, I would like to just come into the temple and to worship. Sorry, what are you, a Gentile? It's a problem. Immediately, you can see where this goes, like in your mind. Are there people? Are there ideologies? Are there political factions that I immediately am at hostility and enmity with? In what way am I erecting a wall? In what way am I building this wall to keep me separate from them? That's humbling. And, like, really convicting. <laughs> like I, again, I, I want you to realize I preach these things to myself. Right? Like, you're just going to be along for the journey inside Doug's head. Sorry if that's a problem. <laughs> but just think about it. All the Jews are now on the same level. They have to descend and overcome a wall to get to the Gentiles. Or the Gentiles, rather, have to ascend, overcome a wall, to get to be on the same playing field. And this is what it says. Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus levels the playing field. You've probably heard the phrase that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I love that. Because it means that I don't have something better than you do. I'm not able to offer something better or different than you. And here comes Christ making the playing field level. This is how you begin to help people understand their dignity and their worth and their value because they are created in God's image, not because they sat on the other side of a wall. 
This is reading about stories like in 1960s uh, restaurants having separate areas of seating. And then when that had to be overcome and people had to begin to seat uh, African-Americans along with uh, our white brothers and sisters and what that looks like. How did they come together? How did they overcome those pieces? And then think about reading a passage like this. How does Jesus break down that dividing wall of hostility? How do I invite someone different and diverse in? There are very real, tangible consequences in a good way for believing in Jesus. He says in verse 15 that Jesus now actually, after being told that Jesus is our peace, now we're told in verse 15 that Jesus is making peace. And how does he do that? Well, he, he does it by saying that, that the law is fulfilled in him. The law, as he's referring to in, in Ephesians 2 here, can be looked at as, as both ceremonial and moral. The ceremonial law is like the sacrifices and the rites and the washing and all the cleansing and all those pieces, and Jesus came to fulfill that. And then the moral law in Jesus' body, because Jesus came and lived on this earth and fulfilled every aspect of the law to love God and to love others. Because he did that, now the dividing wall is completely obliterated. That's why Paul can say in verse 16 that he can reconcile us both. I don't know if you've thought about that. That would be a revolutionary statement. To the first century Jew reading the Ephesian letter, and he, he reads it, and he gets to verse 16, and he says, and might reconcile us both to God. You're like, oh, wait a minute. That means like the very person that was like on the other side of that wall that I didn't like, and I didn't want to have at my dinner party, and I, now we're one. Jesus is like, yep, <laughs> that's how that works. It's a revolutionary statement. How desperately do we need to hear this in this age of division, in this age of COVID and politics as religion and racism and the moral decline of America? How greatly do we need to hear this, that Jesus breaks down the dividing wall of hostility? So Jesus is our peace. He makes peace, and then he preaches peace. That term is where we get the, the term for good news. It's translated uh, the gospel or good news from the Greek. So it says literally Jesus brings good news. Like his life, death, resurrection, and his ascension is good news. The playing field is level. Colossians 2 talks about it where Paul says this. In him, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, similar language, right? And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, and I love this, 
by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So take every worthless, vile, evil, wicked thing you've ever done, every thought that you've had in your mind, and put it on a note card. It's going to have to be a huge note card, by the way. Okay, And then picture this idea of Jesus bleeding and suffering and dying on a cross. And then here comes your note card, and it's just stapled to the cross. Micah Manningham, paid in full. Roger Stuber, paid in full. Luke Barrow, paid in full. Paid in full. So Jesus says, this is how he preaches peace. That this is good news. The ground is level at the cross. So the question then becomes, are there dividing walls of hostility that I've built? How can we make practicing or preaching peace a practice? How do we do that? What would that look like? But just even for a moment, I'll give you about 30 seconds to a minute here. And I just want you to ask that question. Jot something down. Type a note on your phone. Are there dividing walls that I have created or that I maintain? Are there? Because if we're here preaching about this and Jesus as the solution to these things and we don't take time to just kind of sit in reverence and in humility before him, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? So take a minute and in the stillness of your heart, ask, are there dividing walls that I have built? Jesus kills hostility with his peace. So we've moved from this idea of alienation to peace, and now Paul transitions into a dwelling. It says in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He just in this statement then undoes the stranger and alien in verse 12. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. See, the idea here is that we are being built up by God as we unify in Christ. As the separation has continued to occur, and we've seen it happen even in our own country, we can see very clearly, very easily, how when Christ is not the center, there's really no peace. There can be an absence of like 
infighting. There can be a little bit of like a silence. There can be like a little, you know, some quiet or maybe it dies down or maybe the riots stop. But there will be no peace until Jesus is king. Is he king of your heart? Is he king collectively of us as a church? Are we preaching peace? Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. It really is true. We no longer live on a passport, but we really have our birth certificates. We really belong. This is what Jesus does. In verse 20, it says that Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it's a little bit interesting because you see it in, in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen says this, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. So Jesus is referred to as a foundation and as a cornerstone. But I want to I illustrate the importance of this. As, as a foundation during some excavations that were happening of Jerusalem around where the temple was at, there was one of the foundation stones from the southern wall that was excavated. And it measured 38 feet and nine inches. You're like, that's a hefty foundation. <laughs> and that's just like one corner, okay? So you, you have this idea that the, the understanding of Jesus as our foundation cannot be overstated. Um, but the foundation is like what you're going to build off of. What holds it together is also Christ. So if I could have two of the Stuber boys, you guys didn't know this was coming. I just need two of you. All right, perfect. Okay, now, what I want to do is uh, picture, look at these boys, so nicely dressed, well-behaved. All right. um, so these boys, can I just point out real quick? Pocket knife. Never know when you're going to need it. Let's just keep that right there. All right, so uh, here we have a Jew, and here we have a Gentile, right? And we talked about this idea that Christ Jesus, that, that, that the church that he is building, the foundation is off the apostles and prophets. So everything that the Old Testament talks about, everything that the eyewitnesses of Jesus as his disciples and apostles preached, lived, loved, proclaimed, um, that is how the church then gets built off of Jesus, right? And so when I think of a cornerstone, I think of two walls coming together like this, right? <clears throat> and they're on the foundation, they're on level playing ground, but here then is where Jesus comes in. So if you're going to affix two corners of a wall, you're not, you're not just going to staple it on the ground. Like, you're going to staple it all the way up. Otherwise, it's just going to, there's going to be no stability there. And so when I think of Jesus as a cornerstone, I think of Jesus like this, locked in. Okay? Now, these two people are then unified in the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. This is how the cornerstone nature, of Jesus, he's connected. He tries to get away. He pulls his brother with him. He tries to get away. He pulls his brother with him too, right? And so we learn that our actions are going to have consequences. Our love is going to have consequences. Our lack of love will have consequences. And Jesus Christ being the foundation that we build off of, the cornerstone that holds us together. Thanks, boys. Um, he's going to be the one that begins to unite then Jew and Gentile. He's going to be the one in our day and age that's going to unite black and white. 
How's he going to do that? We just learned about it. You see, Christ, from a truth to life standpoint, is indispensable for unity and growth in the church. If we ever start preaching a gospel that doesn't include Jesus as the unifier, run. Or take a torch and burn it all down and start over. Right? We want Jesus as the centerpiece. The moment we lose sight of him is the moment the world, the flesh, and the devil prevails upon the church with ideologies, with nonsense, with ridiculous notions of what unites us. It is Jesus as our foundation and as our cornerstone that kills hostility with his peace. So as we wrap up, we're going to take communion now. And um, I believe Dale's going to provide just a brief explanation of what that is going to look like. But this week, hold in your minds, even as you're taking communion, hold in your minds how it is that Christ unites us and kills hostility with his peace.